You're tuned to KGNU Boulder, Denver. When it comes to children's health, the statistics are alarming. One in three is likely to be obese or diabetic in adulthood. Among children from low-income or minority households, the numbers get worse, with half of all children likely to suffer these serious health problems in adulthood. These are big reasons why the Centers for Disease Control predicts that a child born today will live a shorter lifespan than his or her parents. It's the first time in our history where we're seeing this drop in long-term health. According to many health experts today, a big reason for these looming problems involves lifestyle habits, especially what our children eat. Some communities are working to reverse those trends, and with us today we have some of the best nutrition leaders and teachers in the public schools who are fighting to make healthy food available, affordable, and fun. KJNU is part of this effort through a project we call Eat Your Radio. You can check out the project at our website, eatyourradio.kgnu.org. But right now, let's introduce some of the champions of good nutrition for kids in Denver, Metro, and Boulder Valley schools. And let's start with Chef Ann Cooper. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. And do you want to tell our listeners just who you are? Well, I'm often referred to as the renegade lunch lady, but where my day hat lives is as the director of nutrition services for Boulder Valley School District, where we have 48 schools, 30,000 kids, and where we're trying to feed them really good food. Really good food at an affordable price that they're going to enjoy. I've seen some of those meals. They look delicious and they taste delicious. Well, thank you. And then also here in the studio with us, we have Max Young, who is a nutritionist with, well, you go ahead and tell us who you are, Max. Um, Hi, Shelley. I am a nutritionist, but I work in the Integrated Nutrition Education Program, which is um, classroom-based nutrition education classes that uh, teachers actually teach. You're also a representative for a mysterious person who is known as Dr. Carrot. Can you tell us who Dr. Carrot is and how you represent him? Yes, Dr. Carrot um, has all of the nutrition answers. Um, when kids or um, parents have questions about nutrition or healthy eating, they can propose their questions to Dr. Carrot, and um, he can answer them in a way that's um, helpful and uh, helpful for them. So, Yes, Dr. Carrot, the great and powerful Dr. Carrot, and you're a representative for him. Also, we have on the phone Leo Lesh. Leo, welcome to KGNU. Yes, uh, well, thank you for having me. Well, Leo, can you tell us a bit about who you are? Well, I'm the Executive Director for Food and Nutrition for Denver Public Schools. Uh, We serve in about 142 schools. Uh, We have a universal free breakfast program where we do about 16,000 meals a day, and we do about 40,000 lunches every school day. And you've been working hard to improve the quality of those lunches and breakfasts. Yes, every, every single year, every single day. Now, let's, we're going to do this as a call-in show, so if you have questions, listeners, for our panel of guests here, call us here at 303-442-4242. That's 303-442-4242. And just to let you know, um, we'll have Leo and Ann with us until a little bit after 9 o'clock or roughly 9 o'clock, and then we'll have teachers from Ashley Elementary School who've been helping conduct nutrition classes and programs, and they'll be on the line after 9, and Max will be with us throughout this time. So you have some special opportunities right now to get information and also share your thoughts with this panel of experts. So call us here at 303-442-4242 if you'd like to do that. Let's start by looking at this issue of how can it be that a school lunch or a school breakfast can make such a difference health-wise in a child's life? Let's start with you, Leo. Why does this matter? Well, uh Good nutrition is the basic determinant of good health, Uh, and there's certainly uh, an intrinsic link between good nutrition and learning and good nutrition and health, but I think people uh, have to be educated on what good nutrition is, what the right food is. There's plenty of food out there, but it's not necessarily the right food, and you know, food is what you eat, but nutrition is how your body uses that food, and if you don't get the right nutrients, you're not going to perform at your peak. and either academically or physically. So it's important that you eat enough of the right foods to get the nutrients that your body needs to grow. And that is at all ages, not just young ages. Has the concept of what is the right nutrition in schools changed in the last 10 years? It it has dramatically, and it continues to change. Um, You know, what we think of as good food 
Um, it may be different than someone else, but we think that good food, you know, doesn't have synthetic hormones or, or no RBST hormones, and it's uh, minimally processed, and there's fresh fruits and vegetables at every meal, and, and the protein comes from other sources than meat, although meat is a good source. So, you know, foods that are free of trans fats, uh, foods that have uh, less high fructose corn syrup whenever possible, you know, those kind of things, uh, minimally processed uh, those are the kind of things that we think is good food and, and right food. And then there's obviously foods that are good for the planet. Uh, you know, what's good locally grown and locally purchased food is, is always better. And, of course, what we think is I'd rather make food at your school than bring food to your school. Well, thank you for that explanation. Leo Lesh with Denver Public Schools, um, who is in charge of nutrition and lunch and breakfast programs there. Chef Ann Cooper, what would you say is the impact of school lunches, school breakfasts? Well, I think the impact is enormous, especially for at-risk kids or kids from lower-income families. I mean, some of these kids are getting breakfast, lunch, and one, if not two, snacks at school. This could be two-thirds, sometimes three-quarters of the nutrition and the food they get in a whole day. And in fact, sometimes it's the only hot meals that the kids get in an entire day. So I think it's really important. And then there's another piece. We all in this country send our kids to school to learn. And everything that happens within the school day is part of their their learning. And so you can't imagine that breakfast or snack or lunch isn't part of the learning. And if we send our kids to school and feed them chicken nuggets and and tater tots and high fructose corn syrup and chocolate milk and all this stuff. And then, you know, we expect them to be able to make good choices for lifelong health at home. It's impossible. We have to understand that the cafeteria is a classroom and every single thing that happens within the course of the school day is part of their education. And in this sense, because it's food, part of their education around their health. Well, Chef Ann Cooper, you mentioned a controversial topic in that discussion right there. You mentioned chocolate milk. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Because I think that in Colorado, as in many places, opinions are divided about whether that's a healthy snack for kids or an unhealthy one. I don't see it as a healthy or unhealthy snack for kids. I see more about whether or not chocolate milk should be part of the daily intake of a child's diet during school lunch. And that's where I come down and say, I don't believe that chocolate milk should be part of a daily school lunch. And I really believe that because of the increase in calories you know, much chocolate milk has as many as 50 more calories than, than white milk. But, but besides that, it has usually 40 to 50% less uh, protein and sometimes 30 to 35% calcium. So it's much, much better if we can get kids to drink white milk as opposed to flavored milk if it's going to be part of an everyday meal. A snack is something different. You know, a snack is special occasion. Special occasion, you know, you, you can have a lot of things, but part of the daily dose of what we feed our kids every day. I don't think chocolate milk should be part of that. Well, following up on that, in the Boulder Valley Public Schools, do you use sugar treats as part of what you are feeding kids? Not as not in the lunchroom at all. So we don't actually have sugar desserts in the lunchrooms. We have fresh fruit as desserts in the lunchrooms. Leo Lesh, there in Denver Public Schools, what's your perspective on chocolate milk and uh, sugar treats as part of school lunch or school breakfast? Well, we don't use any sugar treats in our snack program. We have a very strict snack menu if people want to follow it. Again, I, I, I can't attest to what other people bring into school, uh, but if they're part of our snack program, we don't give the sugared uh, treats at all. We don't make them. We don't serve them either in the lunch program, the breakfast program, or the snack program. But, but how, the, about, how about brownies? Um, how about cookies? We don't, we don't serve that. We do serve a brownie, but it's a black bean brownie. We've substituted, and, and we have a black bean brownie that we try on the kids, and it's been very popular. If there's any treats at all, it's like a pumpkin cranberry bread that we make in-house uh, and take great pains to make sure that the uh, sodium and the salt and the sugar and the fat and the saturated fat uh, meet our nutritional standards. So we do have some of those kinds of things, but we're very picky, as, as, as probably Ann is, about you know what we serve kids even in the snack program. It is, it is a treat, but that doesn't mean that you can have sugary stuff, you can have cookies and, and all those kind of things. I mean, it just sort of dilutes the message that we're always trying to get out. How about that chocolate milk? Well, I, 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 I disagree with, with Ann on, on that subject. We don't push chocolate milk. I'd rather see kids take a flavored milk than drink pop. 
Um, and, and so that's where our stand is. We offer it. They don't have to take it. We've reformulated our chocolate milk. It's, uh, it doesn't have high fructose corn syrup. It has sucrose. You know, we've cut the calories. We've cut the fat. Um, but we, we do offer it. And again, we offer it because we'd rather see them drink milk than, than, than a pop at school or bring something in. Do, do, uh, do they, do they drink pop at school sometimes? Oh, absolutely. Kids bring it in with them. We see that, uh, occasion or not occasionally, but a lot of times, especially at the breakfast where they'll bring in a bag of chips and a bottle of pop for breakfast at all ages instead of, you know, instead of having the free breakfast. Again, this is a universal free breakfast that we offer. Uh, and still we only serve six. 16,000, uh, you know, compared to 40,000 lunches. So it's, it's a considerable less than we would like. Uh, but that's gone up from, what, 10,000 before we started. So we've increased breakfast considerably, but it's still not where we want to be. You know, in both of your schools, in Boulder Valley and Denver Public Schools, um, my brief experience in both has been that what you all are serving the kids for these great prices, what is it, 275 for a full price school lunch in Bo- in Boulder, we're two seventy five in elementary and three dollars in secondary. Yeah, and seeing we're in an elementary, we're a dollar forty, and in a middle school, we're a dollar sixty five, and at the high school, we're only two twenty. Well, these are great prices, whichever way you look at it. And looking at what children bring in for snack, even children who can afford a lot more food. Quite often, the food is healthier that's being served at the school lunches. The the yolk plate yogurts have more sugar in them than what you're serving the kids. The kind of snacks, the candies and the cookies that are being brought in from home to go with their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or their cup of soups. Um, they have more sodium in them. They have more sugar. They have less full nutrients than what you're serving children for less money. Have, have you encountered that, too, and what, what you see? Uh, let's start with you, Ann Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I think you when you look at what the kids bring from home, and this is not across the board, of course, and it's, you know, I don't want to make a general generalization because some of the lunches I see coming from home are lovely. But there's this whole thing around the Lunchables, you know, this scourge of the earth, these Lunchables that have all this highly processed, high-fat, high-sodium stuff, all fake stuff. I mean, you see a lot of that. You do see a lot of things like the Hot Cheetos and things like that. So... By and large, I think, you know, many school lunches can be healthier than what kids eat at home. And in Berkeley, what we found is, and this was an evaluation done by the UC Center for Berkeley Weight and Health, that our kids who ate school lunch ate three times more vegetables than kids who brought their lunch from home. So we know these type of programs really do work. In fact, you have some delicious uh, salad bars in, in the schools. Ann Cooper and, and Leo Lesh, I believe that you're working to do that more and more often in Denver public schools, to have a Correct. salad bar where it's not just iceberg lettuce, it's real right. dark green leafy lettuce and options for adding to it like uh, beans or, or what, what are some of the things at your salad bars? Well, we have uh, we have beans, uh, we have vegetables, we have fresh fruits. So yeah, we have almost anything you can put out there that we can get locally, and sometimes not locally, depending upon the season on a, on a daily basis. Because you know we we think it's about choice, and all of our choices are healthy. But some kids like different things. You know, culture has a big uh, part to play in school meals uh, in certain schools. So we try to we try to make it as, as diverse as we can, so that we can attract people that will look and say, oh, I want to eat this today, uh, rather than not. Because even even kids who are economically disadvantaged have a choice whether to eat or not. And we see that in all programs, that even though you could be qualified for a free reduced meal, doesn't mean that you're going to eat. So we have to make the food taste good, we have to make it look good, and then we have to make them want to come back for more. Is that the case in your school lunch programs too, Anne? Absolutely. As far as the salad bars, we actually have salad bars in every single one of our schools now, and it's really great. And we have a lot of the fresh vegetables when we can get them in season and fresh fruit. And we also have animal and vegetable protein. So they can be a complete reimbursable meal. But, you know, I'll, I'll second what Leo said. I mean, it's really important for these, for our programs to have the highest participation possible. And that means we need more kids to eat, whether they're free and reduced and the government pays or whether the parents pay. These programs are dependent upon high participation. That's how we make the bottom line work. And so if we want better food in schools from a sustainability standpoint, but, you know, besides that on the national level, we need more money and we need better staff.
standards, but on the local level, we need more kids eating. You know, Anne and Leo, you both make it sound like not only a health issue for the nation to have more kids eating school lunches, but a social justice issue that it's a social justice issue to have enough kids participating in the school lunch program that you all can afford to use the best possible ingredients and make them as healthy as possible. And you can't do that unless more families choose to send their kids to school with lunch money or the vouchers to let them get the free and reduced lunches. Is that is that a good way to put it? or? Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely believe that it's a social equity issue. And there are no vouchers or anything, which is really great. It's a really anonymous system. So whether you're a kid who where the government pays or a kid where your parents pay, in, in any case, it's an anonymous system. And whether you have swipe cards that some schools have or keypads, we have keypads where kids punch in their numbers. It's really an anonymous system. But we need, on a national level, we need more money for these programs and we need better uh, nutritional guidelines so that we really can have something that, you know, says, all right, and we have to raise the bar. But from a local level, we need more kids eating. Yeah, and again, it's, it's, I think it's been long, too long associated with the school meal program is for the economic disadvantage, and that's not true. It's, it's a meal program for everybody, every age group, every economic status, and that's what we want to portray. This, it shouldn't be a stigma that if you can't afford it, that, that you, those are the kids that go to the lunchroom, and that's not, shouldn't be the case. Uh, we want to make sure that this lunch program has, uh, you know, adequate nutritional value for every single one of our students. The phone number to call if you'd like to join this conversation is 303-442-4242. That's 303-442-4242. We'd like to get your opinions out there on whether or not you remember what it was like to eat a school lunch and whether you've eaten one today. It turns out that parents and adults can go into the public schools and they can try out the lunches themselves for this, what is it, roughly $2, maybe $3 worth of uh, pocket change, and you can see what a school lunch is like today, and give your own feedback about how it works, uh, what could make the school lunch programs better, what uh, are reasons that people should try to see more about what this is about. Call us here at 303-442-4242. One other question that we have about how these programs work is in some schools, there's also education for parents about what kind of snacks to bring into the classroom to help either support the school lunch program in terms of health or to just be fun for the kids. What do you do in Boulder Valley schools when it comes to snacks that parents bring in, Chef Ann Cooper? Well, we actually have a snack program that the district runs. So in many, many of our schools, especially in the elementary schools, we actually provide afternoon snacks. And there's a, nat- there's a way that you can get reimbursement. So we, get, we, we provide that. But are, if you're speaking about what actually parents bring in for, and that replaces what the parents bring in. So we provide snack and, and in many cases don't ask parents to bring it in. Well, what about when a child has a birthday? What about when there's a special celebration like the, the track team or the kids have been celebrating some event and everybody wants to bring in a little bit of a favorite treat to treat the kids? How do you deal with that? Well, you know, we are actually in the process right now of evaluating the wellness policy in the district, and we expect to have a new wellness policy come out in May. And these are very difficult issues. When we talk about having parents and teachers and administrators all come together and decide what those snacks should be, you know, it's sort of easy to say, okay, this is what we want the lunch program to be. It's harder to dictate to parents what they can do. I will personally say that I believe that we need to really become much stricter about this because, you know, if a typical school has 400 kids in it and they all have a birthday party, that means you're having two and a half or three birthday parties a day. You know, I mean, the idea that we would be bringing so much sugar if they're getting cakes and cookies and and candy is just is, is kind of unconscionable. And then there's, of course, one or two holiday parties every single month. So I think we have to understand that the amount of sugar kids can be consuming in school from these parties. And we have to really think about whether that's the best thing for our kids. You know, we have a caller, it looks like, on the line, and uh, welcome to KGNU. Thank you. Hi, can you give us your name? My name is Gloria. Hi there. What, what is your comment or your question for our group here? Uh, my question is, I think I um, wanted to ask how many of the adult staff are actually, what percentages of those people are actually participating in the lunch 
uh, programs and not so much from the perspective of, you know, whether or not they're paying or not, but how many of them are finding what's in their lunch programs something that they would really appreciate eating themselves. Oh, so how many people that are teachers or staff at a school also participate in the school lunches? Yes, that's the real question. I'm As an educator myself, um, I have experienced being in the school systems for many years and have seen a huge change over the years uh, in the Denver public school systems, and not only the Denver public schools, but I also uh, had the privilege of uh, working with the Aurora public schools as well. And what I saw, frankly, um, in probably the last 10 years, and I'm hoping that that has changed significantly as I listen to the nutritional um, director now, is, is that the food that was being served the kids was enough to make me not want to eat, and I felt really badly on behalf of the kids because the food just was not real food. Well, and when I was a kid growing up, uh, we would come in the building in the morning when the budget was went to making sure the students ate good. We would come in in the morning, we could, you know, smell the, the good fresh food being cooked, and uh, everybody looked forward to going to the cafeteria. And so I just would like to know, as an instructor and as a person who's in education, what I saw was is that most of the time, 90% of the time, there was nothing there that I would be willing to put into my system myself. And, and how long ago was the last time you ate a school lunch, Gloria, just so we know that, too? Um, just a year ago. Okay, and in the Aurora Public Schools? Yes. Okay. Now, that gets Chef Ann Cooper of Boulder Valley Public Schools and Leo Lesh of Denver Public Schools a little off the hook here. Because, But, but how about it? Um, how many teachers and staff eat your school lunch programs, Leo Lesh and Ann Cooper? Well, uh, you know, we, we don't have, I, I mean, it's hard to guess. We don't keep track of as, as many adults as a student. I mean, the program is geared for students. What we've initiated last year, though, was what we call our Friday lunch bunch. And so if a teacher comes through the line on Friday and puts in their six-digit number, or actually it's for a teacher, it's seven digits, and sits with the kids, their lunch is free. Okay, it doesn't cost them anything. They can also order lunches and everything um, just like the kids can do, but basically it's a kid's program. We encourage uh, more kids to eat than actually adults. I mean, adults to us is sort of a secondary kind of income. We certainly encourage it, but most of our energy, most of our focus and everything else goes to providing meals that the kids are going to consume. But we've seen a fairly good increase with our Friday lunch bunch, and that we started that last year. And what are you seeing, Ann Cooper, in the Boulder Valley Public Schools? Well, I agree with uh, Leo that it's you know that our main focus is kids. That is the National School Lunch Program. But we really spend a lot of time also marketing to adults and parents because we feel like if the if the adults eat lunch and like the food, then they'll bring that back into their classroom and talk to their kids about it. So we've seen a tenfold increase this year over last year of how many adults are eating, and so we do a lot of marketing to the adults to come into the classroom and uh, come into the cafeterias and eat the food. Ten times more adults are eating the school lunches in Boulder Valley, and Leo Lesh in Denver Public Schools, you're encouraging more and more teachers to be eating school lunches. Um, and you can eat them, too, those of our listeners out there, by going to a school lunch and trying it out. You can call us here at 303-442-4242. This is KGNU Boulder, Denver. And up next, we'll have Mike on the line in this nutrition show that we're doing about kids' school lunches. And Mike, welcome to KGNU. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Hey, very interesting program. Uh, my two cents worth on this is uh, uh, in the not-too-distant past, I worked as a substitute teacher in the Denver Public Schools and was in a wide variety of different schools. Uh, and I found that the very best school lunch program, at least that I personally had uh, taken advantage of, and I ate, ate at all of them, uh, was at West High School uh, in Denver. That's on the west side of high school on Elotti Street, not North High, but West High. They actually had a food court. They had The students had a choice of uh, sandwiches that, with uh, fresh fruit, you know, apple, orange, stuff like that, a full or a full hot plate. Uh, then they had a, a pizza stand, and, they, and then they had another stand. And it was actually, uh, I have a big appetite. Uh, the only complaint I would make is uh, they were a little too good on their portion control for an adult. <laughs> but uh, that was excellent. But uh, some of the programs, like at East High, which is... <clears throat> East High, which is over in the historic district of Denver, uh, their school was it was horrible, and I don't blame most many of the kids. I would say the majority, the vast majority of the kids would eat off campus. I'd see them like if I'd go to a coffee shop during the noon hour or whatever. Uh, their school lunch program was 
was something that I would sometimes skip. Uh, but the, the thing that concerns me most, and this is my fundamental point, is that in all of these schools, and I don't believe that there was an exception, there were pop machines, soda pop machines, uh, pretty much everywhere, and candy bar machines. What I think should be done is those should be eliminated. I know they use the excuse that they <clears throat> raise money for the school, but I would have those 100%, maybe they already, maybe this has already happened in the last couple of years, but I would have those completely eliminated from all public schools. No soda pop, you, no bringing your soda pop, you can't buy it there. Find another way to fundraise. And then uh, for growing kids, uh, I would actually, because uh, I had a huge appetite as a kid, and I'm not overweight, never have been, uh, but I would increase the portion uh, control. But I think if you want to model your program, you should look at West High School. And that's the last thing I'll say, and I'll get off the line. Very important discussion. Well, thank you for those comments, Mike. And let's start with you and Cooper. How about the soda pops in schools? Well, I think that actually the state of Colorado instituted some new guidelines this past July, and and it's pretty strict now. I mean, the sizes, what you can have in each different age group. By and large, I don't think that there are soda machines in schools anymore, specifically soda. There are certainly iced teas that have sugar, things like that. I actually personally believe we should get rid of all vending machines in schools. I don't think that that's a proper place. And I understand that we're making money for everything from footballs to erasers with those vending machines. But truly, that's not a good thing for our kids, you know. And there's also a social equity over who can buy and who can and who has money and, and who doesn't. But I think soda is by and large out of all the schools in Colorado. And Leo Lesh, what's your comment about that, the vending machines and snacks like sodas? Well, yeah, the... Um the sodas are gone. They have been gone for quite a while uh, in, an, in most schools, in fact, in all schools where uh, you have public access. About the only thing that you can sell is water uh, and maybe Gatorade in a 12-ounce container or 10 ounces of juice, uh, 100% juice with no added sugar. You can't even sell diet sodas with the new rules. So uh, the vending, we have a healthy vending program that has to meet certain nutritional standards. I, we also have a, a reimbursable vending machines. Uh, in locations where people can't come to the cafeteria, so I'm not so sure I would I would you know put the burden on vending machines. It's it's the products that are in them, uh, but you can in in our case have uh, a reimbursable lunch. The you know from from certain hours through a vending machine, you put in your number and and you pay whatever it is that you qualify for, just like going into the lunch room or the cafeteria. The only downside about our reversible or a reimbursable vending machine obviously is it's cold, so you have to put in cold sandwiches, the yogurts, those kind of things. but uh, for the hot meal, then absolutely you have to go through the cafeteria line so um, it, it's the products that you put in there it's it's just another method of of delivery, and there are so many times and especially in high schools where you've got a 1,700 student body high school and you get 50 minutes to serve everybody. They only give you one lunch period. So you have to start looking sort of out of the box and saying, how can you serve those other kids and make sure that they get a reimbursable meal and a good quality meal because they, you can't serve them all in the time frame that you get for lunch in many cases. Well, thank you for joining us, Leo Lesh of Denver Public Schools and the Denver Public School Food Program and Ann Cooper of Boulder Valley Public Schools, uh, two very pioneering districts where you're trying hard to serve healthier, more local food to kids and any parents and adults who want to come in and try these lunches, you're welcome to. You can come to a school and try them out and see for yourself uh, the great improvements that are happening in the school lunch programs. We're going to take a break and Maeve Conran, you have something special for us from the Eat Your Radio Project. That's right, Shelley, and a great conversation between Anne Cooper and Leo Lesh. Thank you both for being with us. I'm excited to bring in Max Young, our nutritionist, who's been working with us on the Eat Your Radio Project. She's also representative for Dr. Carrot. Now, we heard from Dr. Carrot yesterday morning as part of our Eat Your Radio Project. We're going to hear from one of the teachers at Ashley Elementary as well. But right now, we're going to go back to the Eat Your Radio Project and hear as these nutrition reporters, these fifth graders that we're training um, to be reporters, they're talking to each other about what kind of snacks work best for them and what kind of snacks they like to eat. And it really, I think, illustrates the struggle that many of these children have between what they really want to eat and what they know that they should eat. Hi, what's your first name and how old are you? My name is James and I'm 10. How hungry are you in the afternoon? Not usually hungry. Who decides what after school snack you eat, you or somebody else? 
Me. What do you usually What do you use usually eat for snack? Hot Cheetos. Where do you get your snack from? My mom. Do you think that your after-school snack is healthy? Why or why not? No, because it has it doesn't have anything nutritious in it. It's separate cheese. Why do you eat hot Cheetos if you know that they are not healthy? Because it is a great snack because I think they taste good. Can't you be eating anything else except for hot Cheetos in your house? A sandwich? Why don't you eat a sandwich a sandwich instead of hot Cheetos? I'm usually doing tricks on a skateboard in the afternoons. Instead of making a sandwich because it takes too long, I'd rather take something quick. Perhaps a carrot or something, a vegetable. They're easy to take. But I have to carry it around and skateboard. But but I don't want to swallow it by accident and then fall. And they were the voices of some of our fifth graders in Ashley Elementary School in Denver. They're participating in this Eat Your Radio project. Now you can check out Eat Your Radio. Go to our main website, kgnu.org. There's a link to the Eat Your Radio project. You can hear some more of these stories that we've been hearing for the past several weeks, produced by the children at Ashley Elementary, fifth graders. And uh, it's really all about nutrition. And that is the subject of this morning's show. I'm Maeve Conran. Shelley Schlender is my co-host this morning. And we're excited to have a a couple of other guests with us as well. Yes, that's right. We're privileged to have in the studio here with us Max Young, who is a member of the Integrated Nutrition Education Project that takes nutrition into the schoolrooms and helps kids learn about nutrition right there in the schoolroom. Max is also a representative for Dr. Carrot, the great and powerful, <laughs> mysterious Dr. Carrot who can answer nutrition education questions. And with us on the phone right now is Robbie Hurd, from Ashley Elementary School. Robbie is a fifth grade teacher and a fantastic teacher who will help the kids do the recipes for the Integrated Nutrition Education Project. Well, Robbie, welcome to KGNU. Thank you very much. Good uh, good morning. Yes, and um, we've had the privilege at KGNU of seeing you in action in the classroom and how you can get a whole group of kids to start chopping tomatoes and onions and enjoy the process and eat it, too, for inventing their salsas. What's it like to work with kids in nutrition? Oh, it's great. I mean, they're really, you know, they're really excited about uh, food. Just, you know, I don't think they uh, realize it <laughs> when we started doing this, that, uh, that that food can actually be exciting and, and the preparation you know, it's almost as exciting as eating it. And, um, you know, and, and I know that I, you know, I enjoy cooking at home and stuff like that. So I try to share those experiences with them and let them know that, um, that there's more to food than just, uh, than just sitting down and eating what mom and dad fixes you. You know, you can also, you know, be involved in the uh, planning and preparation of the food and the, and the cooking of it and the, the you know, and, um, and just it's, food's more of an experience than I think that they first thought. You know, and you are modeling so much good behavior when, when you're working with kids and teams about how to be cooking, when you're eating the food and, and building curriculum lessons around what the food is. Do you, do you, do you feel that, too, as you're, as you're doing that with the kids and food? Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, I try to, you know, I try, I say. <laughs> I, I attempt to, to be a role model in everything I do. I figure, you know, those kids are watching you, and <laughs> they're watching everything you do. And uh, and I think it's really important just to model, you know, good habits, you know, good good behaviors, because I think over a period of time, they see that um, that you you know that uh, that this is how you're expected to act. This is what you know. This is what is expected of you. And um, you know, actions do, uh, do speak louder than words. You know, I I let them know what what's expected of them and what and what their behavior should look like, but. It's different when you just model that every day and, and you show them on a consistent basis, you know, how to cooperate in a classroom and how to uh, interact with other students and just how to be a, a good person. And I think over time, I think, um, I, th- I think they begin to see that and, and they begin to emulate that behavior. And uh, with, with the nutrition program, it falls right into that. Um, you know, I think they, they're eager to help. They really want to help. But, um, you know, I let them know if you're paying attention in class and you're, you know, and you're, and you're d- displaying those good behaviors, then you'll be, you'll be able to help you know, with the lesson. And I think they really try to do that because they want to help. <laughs> well, speaking of modeling things, uh, one of our last callers was asking, do teachers eat the school lunches? Yes, I do. Um, our, uh, our cook here is actually, I think he does a great job, and, um, and I do. And, uh, and 
a lot of times in schools, the uh, if you ask the cooks in the morning, they will prepare a salad for you as well. So, um, and yeah, I do. Um, you know, the school lunches kind of get a bad rap, I think, sometimes. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of us, you know, of course, grew up in public education and always talked about the the school lunch and, and you know how bad it was. But I really feel like that, at least here at Ashley, that um, that 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 the food here is excellent and and that our um, our cook does a great job. And uh, yes, I I actually do eat the school lunch. And do you drink the chocolate milk? I don't go for the chocolate milk. I have to go for the real milk. I uh, <laughs> I figure I need I need I need some calcium somewhere. So I but the only time I actually drink milk is uh, here at school. Plus I think it really models uh, to the kids that uh, once again it's going back to that you know I can say that you know that I eat healthy. I can say that I you know that I need calcium and drink milk. But it's one thing to actually do that and actually drink the milk and everything. So I like for my students to see that. Um, that I'm, uh, you know, drinking the milk and, tr- and trying to be healthy. Well, Robbie Hurd, fifth grade teacher at Ashley Elementary School, we also have with us in the studio right now Max Young, who has been in your classroom occasionally as a representative of Dr. Carrot and also a member of the Integrated Nutrition Education Project. Max, do you want to explain to people what kind of food is being served to kids during the nutrition education projects? Our focus is mainly on fruits and vegetables. Um, We also have whole grains, but um, the idea is that we get kids preparing foods, um, fruits and vegetables, um, mainly chopping, cutting, mixing, um, because the more empowered or the more involved they are, the more empowered they feel to uh, make those food choices. So um, our focus is mainly on fruits and vegetables. And the kids do eat them. That's the amazing thing. They eat vegetables. They eat fruits. They eat carrots, celery. Cabbage. <laughs> they, they, they will try anything if they prepare it, um, especially if their classmates are trying it. They're, there's something to say for positive peer pressure in a way that um, if the kids are all doing it together as an activity, then they're more willing to test it. So. And thanks to Robbie Hurd, too, because he makes it fun. The kids are laughing and talking as they do this. So it's a wonderful thing to go and see a nutrition class in action. Right now, you can join our conversation by calling 303-442-4242. And we do have a caller now to join the conversation. Giselle, welcome to KGNU. Good morning. Thanks for such a great conversation. I'm a mother of a middle school uh, student. And um, I was thinking about your program and, and possible uh, ideas to enhance the, the school lunch experience for kids, and, that, and you may already be doing this in the school district, but um, some sort of a sampling program where you can get the cafeteria staff to come into the classroom with trays of samples. Um, you know, my son loves sampling stuff, and I've, I've taught him that when we go into the produce section of the supermarket and there's some unusual fruit, something seasonal, so we go up to the produce clerk and we ask for samples, and they'll cut them open right there, and we'll sample them. And he, you know, he loves the idea of checking out something new. We buy some of it, and he takes it to class for for snacks. Um, it, it, is that being done in the school district now? Some sort of sampling program, and in addition to that, you can get the kids involved by every week picking a couple high performers in a class and and motivating them to participate in preparing the samples and delivering them to the classroom. That's a great idea, Giselle. And let's have you start with that, Max. Is that part of the way that you all developed the integrated nutrition education curriculum was the idea of sampling foods? Oh, it certainly was, but um, one of the one of the things that is being do is being done right now is um, a project called the Superfoods Project that's being run by Ann Wilson um, through the DPS Food Service. Um, one of the things we're trying to do is connect the food that's being taught in our lessons in the classroom to the food that's being served in the cafeteria. So instead of the cafeteria food coming to the classroom, we're actually bringing samples of INEP lessons to the cafeteria. So when kids go through the line, they um, will come out with sample foods, um, and each month there's a different feature. Um, and this isn't happening at every classroom, I mean, every school, but it is about um, six schools in the district, and we're hoping to continue to expand, and Anne does a great job with it. And so that's a possibility. Uh, Robbie Hurd, I thought that we would ask you a question about is there a contrast between the kind of food that's served in the Integrated Nutrition Education Project and the kind of food that kids generally bring as their samples from home, their snacks? 
Yeah, there's usually a difference. <laughs> usually the snacks, because we do have a snack here in the fifth grade because we don't eat lunch until about 1.15 um, in the afternoon. So because of the late lunch, we, we, we do have a snack that we, we provide about a 10-minute snack break. And I, I generally see a lot of the snacks brought from home or, you know, the typical hot Cheetos, chips, um, you, you know, stuff that's, you know, high in, high, high in fat content. And, you know, and the typical snacks that you might want to see, you know, you might see fifth graders, um, you know, choose every day. Um, but then some of the snacks that we can provide, you know, with the nutrition program, if, if we're allowed to, you know, when, when it comes in, you know, um, it's interesting to me because if you give them the choice, you know, a lot of times they'll try a vegetable and, and then they'll try something else. And um, I think it's a matter of just exposing them to, to, to these choices. And it's like Max was saying, if you can empower them with a choice and let them, you know, make a decision that maybe celery might be a better choice than, than hot Cheetos. And, you know, and, and the fact that they do know that, that celery and fruits and vegetables are actually good for them, it's amazing how that will also mo- uh, motivate them. You know, as a kid, you don't often have choices. You know, your parents say, here you go. You know, <laughs> we went to the store. You know, here's here you have for snack. And, but once they realize that they can, you know, have a say in, in what they eat, and I'm amazed how a lot of times they will make very good choices. You know, Robbie, I really agree with you. It, it also has to do with availability. Um, I think that, you know, sugary snacks or processed snacks are so easy just to pick up and go. Um, and I think that if the, avail- the availability of the fresh fruits and vegetables were, were there, if the fruits were cut up and ready to go or the vegetables were cut up, then, then kids would make those choices. And I think it's, it's about options, empowerment, and, um, and um, role modeling, just like you were saying. Absolutely. Do you have some wish, if you were able to dream big, Robbie Hurd, as, as a teacher, would you like to see some way that parents could bring in snacks that have the same kind of fruit and vegetable con- content as they get through the Integrated Nutrition Education Project? I would love, absolutely love to see that. I really would. Um, yeah, if, <laughs> if if this was my world and I could dictate that, I would absolutely love to see that because, um like I said, it's just a lot of it's just exposure, and I think if if that could happen, and like I said, it's really hard to be able to to get that to happen. But if that truly were to happen, if if, if the kids all brought in healthy nutritional options, I do believe that that this would be something that they might adapt, you know, as part of their lifestyle, and realizing that uh, that these things um, actually do taste pretty well, and they are good, good alternatives, and. Um, Yes, and you know, and I've been trying to encourage them to do that. I have noticed that the, the, the nutrition program has made an impact with that, and I do think gradually they are bringing in more more nutritional snacks than they were before. So I think it's making an impact. Um, I like to see more of an impact, you know. But at the same time, it is helping. It is at least planting that seed. You know, there are good choices out there. The, and 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 I believe with the integrated nutrition project in Denver that some of your effort goes toward educating parents and helping them make new recipes. Is is that a good way to characterize that, Max Young? Oh, sure. Um, one of the things that we, we focus on is parent education. Um, you can educate the kids to make their choices, but you have to have it available in, in the house. And um, parents want, um, want to make healthy decisions, sometimes just don't know how to go about it. So, um, yeah, parents absolutely need to be involved. Parents getting involved by giving them permission to serve healthy snacks is also part of it. We've noticed by being in the classrooms and meeting some of the parents there at Ashley Elementary that sometimes at home they make very traditional meals. A lot of the families at Ashley Elementary, at least some of them, come from other countries. And they have traditional recipes, but then they come to the United States. And we have candy, and we have chips and we have snacks that are all fast food snacks and that's kind of american food so in some ways what we teach them by coming to america is not as good as what they were having in the countries they came from have, have you noticed that too robbie heard oh yeah i definitely have um almost to assimilate into the culture and feel like that they're you know um a, you know part of uh a, you know a, a part of the american culture i think they feel like that's one of the things that they need to do is is get snacks that are considered American. I think that's really interesting, and um, and uh, yeah, I have noticed that. And um, having conversations with them really, I think, kind of opens up their, you know, their, their their minds a little bit. Let them know that you know, not necessarily this is not necessarily uh, something that all Americans eat and all, and all Americans do. That there are, you know, that 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 those things that you were serving and you know and and, and eating in your your countries are 
perfectly acceptable, you know, and perfectly um, great alternatives to some of the stuff that we eat. Because as you know, as a, as a country, we're, <laughs> we're we're in generally, you know, in a little bit of you know obese. So um, it's just good to let them know options. I really think it's all about knowing that there are options out there and choices and um, just education, just letting them know. I mean, I feel like when we do the nutrition program here, it's like um, this is an important part of, of, of what we do with our curriculum, just like uh, math and reading and writing. This, these are these are healthy alternatives to a healthy life, and it's very important, very, very important. Very important, and you can join this conversation by calling us here at 303-442-4242. That's 303-442-4242. I'm Shelley Schlender. With me in the studio is Maeve Conran and also Max Young, who is uh, a head person in the Integrated Nutrition Education Program and a representative of Dr. Carrot, who knows all about nutrition. And on the phone with us is Robbie Hurd, a teacher at Ashley Elementary School who helps to provide nutrition education to kids in the classroom. Now, Robbie, you have something that is rather intense coming up called the Colorado, I forget what they're called, but the CSAPs. We all know the standardized testing. And there are concerns that teaching things like nutrition can get in the way of children learning their academics. Do you find that to be the case, or do the two, can they go hand in hand? They can. I mean, you, you know, I mean, that is definitely a concern. Um, you know, there's so much pressure now with these, uh, with the CSAP test, and uh, so, so, so much is riding on the CSAP test. And, and I, you know, I work in a, in a high-risk school, so, uh, you know, we really need to do everything we can to try to bring those scores up, so time's a real consideration. But I think what you do is you realize at the same time, you know, it's all about balance as well. And, you know, that we, my colleague um, and I just have, have considered it and realized that this is really, really important and that it's so important that we need just to make the time. It's, it's not like it's something that we have to do every single day. It's once a week for about 45 minutes, you know, and, and we figured, you know, that it's definitely worth that, you know, taking the time out to do that. But, no, you bring up an excellent point because that's, you're probably going to get a little resistance from other educators about that. You know, you know can we really put aside that time because there's so much um, writing on these tests? But, yes, I mean, I think there's so much, you know, other things that come out of it. And, and, and there is, you know, writing involved. And I know that when um, when you guys came out and, and worked with our kids, you know, there was a lot of writing. You know, they, they wrote about their experiences. And to me, that is very, very valuable, to be able to write about real-life experiences. And um, that's probably better than any writing lesson than I can truly give them. <laughs> well, and, and we noticed you giving kids math lessons, sneaking them in by saying, how many pieces can we divide that apple into and what's the fractions? So you have some cool ways to put academics into food as well that was very impressive to see. We have another caller on the line. Judy, welcome to KGNU. Thank you, Shelley. I have a couple of comments. Uh, one to uh, the speaker. Um, I'm learning that we can get calcium uh, all the calcium that we need from from vegetables and uh, from grains, and so um, just uh, to share that that milk. It's my understanding that the milk industry has had a big influence on school lunches and and school programs, et cetera. So just to say that in terms of education, um, that uh, that cal- some some people don't want to do dairy, and um, and that. Um, Anyway, that dairy can actually cause cause congestion and cause problems. So, to encourage students to to know that they can get calcium from vegetables, I think is important. The other is that I have substituted in the Boulder Valley schools for the last ten years, and have observed um, the culture not only of the cla- of the uh, classroom but also the cafeteria. And it always makes me sad in those schools, particularly the larger high schools, where teachers eat their lunches quickly on the run in their little offices as opposed to in the, um, in the faculty lounge or even with the students. So that's just a plug for, for teachers to, to recognize the social time uh, for themselves and for students. And I personally, even though it's noisy, um, enjoy occasionally eating with the students. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Judy. And Robbie, I've seen you eat with the children. Yeah, you know, every once in a while I will. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's very stressful and very um, uh, chaotic throughout the day, and sometimes it's nice to have a little 15 minutes of quiet just to come up into my classroom. And, and so, so that would be a reason why sometimes I do that. I just need a little quiet just to try to uh, 
just try try to get out of my thoughts be, be before the afternoon lessons. But yes, occasionally it is a very good idea. I totally agree with that caller to to have lunch, you know, w with your students and chat with them and get to see another side of them. I think students really enjoy to be able to interact with you uh, with something that's that's other than academic. And that's why occasionally I'll even go on the playground and play basketball game with them or tetherball with them. And I think you can connect with your students, you know, on a different level if you do that. And I try to do that because. As a teacher, it's all about making making really strong connections with those students and uh, and investing in them. So I, I absolutely agree. I think it's great to every once in a while do those things and 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 eat with the children and talk with them. And because um, you know, p part of the the experience with food that I try to talk about is that it's the sharing. You know, it's being at the dinner table. So many studies have shown that you know if you can eat with your family, you know, at the dinner table. Um, just the impact that, that that makes. And even there's even a lesson in the nutrition program that, that talks about that, a Thanksgiving lesson talking about the importance of being, you know, of, of eating with your family and sharing things at the dinner table with your family. And it's, and, it, and it's wonderful, it really is. Well, thank you for that comment, Robbie Hurd, fifth grade teacher at Ashley. Um, Max Young, as a member of the Integrated Nutrition Education Project, do you want to respond to what Judy said about whether or not you can get calcium without eating dairy? Yes, I would, I would like to respond to that. Um, one of the things that's interesting, um, fruits and vegetables have lots of nutrients in them, and calcium is definitely one, especially in like dark green leafy vegetables. Um, there are other um, things in, the, in vegetables that, that can sometimes inhibit um, absorption of calcium. So um, you want to try to get them from, get your calcium sources from multiple, multiple sources. Um, we know that um, vitamin D, for instance, helps absorb calcium. So that's one of the reasons why milk is so promoted is because um, it does, I think, it believe, fortified with vitamin D. Um, and also growing kids need more calcium than the regular um, adults because um, their bodies are still in a process of growing. We're going to go to Jean, another caller, in just a moment. But first we have Robbie's other fifth grade teacher on the line with us, Holly Coburn. Welcome to KGNU. Thank you. How are you all today? We're good. And how are things there at Ashley? Oh, things are going great. Thank you for having us on the call. Well, we wanted to just get your perspective on what it's like to be teaching nutrition in classes, especially during this time of year, or especially with all of the other pressures on what you, what you need to teach. Why do you think it's important to teach nutrition? First of all, I'd like to say it's really been a pleasure to teach this curriculum. We have really enjoyed it. And although we have stressful uh, environments as far as what we're required to teach, I think this is an essential part of just kids' lives. They need to be able to make better choices when it comes to the foods they eat. And um, before I feel like my kids didn't have any background knowledge on food choices, but now I feel like they're really informed when it comes to the choices they make as far as their meals and snacks. Well, again, we want to thank you and Robbie for being great modelers and educators when it comes to teaching kids about nutrition. And we have a caller on the line. We just have another minute or two. Gene, what is your comment? Well, I was a fifth grade and a third grade teacher in Michigan, Michigan years ago, and I was probably a renegade because I was doing this stuff years ago. I had a, I had a principal that supported me. But we grow, grew our own sprouts and uh, sun, sunflower sprouts, pea sprouts, I got the little trays from the blood bank that we used to sprout them in, and we had our windows lined full of them. Then I had mothers come in, and we'd make a big salad, and we, we'd eat uh, once a week. We'd all eat together, mothers, whoever wanted to come. And that was wonderful. And we even had a dehydrator. And was so successful, we started opening a little shop on the outside of our uh, classroom where we sold dried bananas and all that stuff. And we almost put the vending machine company out of business. I don't know if you can do that now, but gosh, what fun. And uh, I'd certainly be willing to share with any teacher what I've learned and how to do it. I'm, that would be fun. So I just want to say keep going. Keep doing the good work. Well, and thank you for the good work that you've done. And um, after the show, if you want to call us back, we'll take your phone number in case there are some teachers who want to connect up with you. We just have about 30 seconds, 45 seconds left. And so we just want to thank you, Holly and Robbie, for the great work you're doing with the Ashley fifth grade students, both in how you model good behavior and how you work with them on nutrition. And to you, Max Young, in terms of where, where are we going to be with our Eat Your Radio project? What's next for us? Um, the next classroom we'll be in is at Maxwell, and we'll be working with Kim Curry. Um, she's, she's the fifth grade teacher. So we'll start that at the beginning of March.